Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. You gotta wonder what that dorm room was like. Yeah, I mean, no, no wonder Sanderson is so quick-witted. Yeah, he's having to compete with Ken Jennings over there in their college dorm for the ladies. Yeah, I'm guessing they got lots of ladies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to come play uh, Dungeons Dragons with us? It's been lots of fun. Or, or watch Jeopardy. Could you just imagine sitting, sitting watching Sanderson and Jennings watching like a Jeopardy episode? That needs to be a, a little YouTube series or something. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Phantology Podcast. This is Steven. I'm joined by Ben and Josh today, and we are pumped to be reviewing Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson, the second book in the Stormlight Archive. Fantastic book. We reviewed the first book, The Way of Kings, and all loved it. This is one of our absolute favorite series. Now, before we get started, if you are listening and enjoying the content, you can find more on most social media platforms. Look us up at Phantology Books, especially our Twitter. We're most active on Twitter. And on Twitter, you will also find an invite to our Discord group. So if you'd like to chat us up and just talk about books or series or really anything in general, feel free. Now, Josh, I know you had something to say right off the bat. I'm actually really excited for the for later on at the ending of the episode. Oh, you're talking about Worst of the Best. Worst of the Best is the new segment at the very end of the episode where we will break down the worst moments of the best moments. So there's some great moments in the book, but there's also some little things in there that we didn't like quite as much, and we're going to talk about those things. So the Stormlight Archive is one of the most unique and renowned fantasy series out there. Brandon Sanderson is doing a lot of things that no other authors are really even trying to do and doing it pretty well. Where do you guys think, personally, where does this series stack up for you in terms of favorites? Yeah, I think um, for sure my favorite series, um, I think that this book in particular kind of did a really good job of um, setting the the tone for the rest of the series. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 10 out of 10 for me right now. This is your, so you're saying this is your very favorite fantasy series ever? Yeah, I mean, I, well, it's not done yet, so it's hard to say. But I mean, I feel like it's kind of the penultimate series in all of Sanderson's work. So it's going to bring together a bunch of different things. And I think there's going to be a lot of payoff. So I think right now it's a strong second addition to what I believe will be my favorite series ever. I would agree. Yeah, this is uh, Sanderson's Magnus Opum. And I would say with the caveat of the series is obviously not finished yet. It's trending in the right direction for me to be my favorite series. I don't think I can say that yet because obviously there's seven more books that need to be written but I don't see how it's not going to be my favorite series when all is said and done. What about you, Josh? I agree. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to say again, yeah, it's my favorite series for sure. I thought that, I think that the series as a whole is very exciting. It's doing great things for the genre and it's lifting everyone up, making everyone develop and not making people afraid of long books. You know, for a while, I feel like people were afraid to write over five, 600 page books. And now it's just, you know, this book was, I think it was 1234, was it? For Words of, for words of Radiance. That we're was it that much? I know Oathbringer was like 1200. I didn't realize Words of Radiance was that Yeah, long. Yeah, it's long. 
So Crazy. I'm I'm happy about it, and I I love this series. I'm excited for Stormlight Four this year. It's probably the book I'm looking forward to most of this year. So. Yeah, so why is it that we can't get enough of this series? Because there are honestly parts of this book especially that tend to drag for me. Like there's a ton of detail. There's a lot of things that are happening that maybe aren't super critical to the plot as as a whole. But at the same time, I'm reading those things and I'm not bored. I I still love it, even if it's not something that's all that exciting or interesting. Like what is it about Sanderson's writing or his series or or his world building what are what what is the secret sauce here so i will say i think i enjoyed it more on my reread than i did on my first read so i think that's because the parts that dragged on the first on the first read i felt were distracting but on the reread i really enjoyed them i was like oh this is i'm enjoying kind of sitting with this character for a lot more pages than i might have before because i wasn't like wanting to find out what happened if that makes sense like I already knew typically what was going to happen and and so I was really enjoying just kind of taking my time with characters so I think it's really just Sanderson's developed a set of characters that that you really like and so you're you're willing to spend a lot of pages with so you're saying once you got to the destination the journey was more enjoyable yeah exactly yeah the, the <laughs> destination before journey all the way with these books no no journey before oh. destination <laughs> Sure. Well, no. make a very good night's radiant. No. no, what Ben's saying is that you have to get to the destination and then you can go back and enjoy the journey again. Exactly. Exactly. Once you've arrived at the destination, the journey seemed a lot more a lot <laughs> a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. I agree. I, I I so I've only read these books once through, so I'm not an expert on them, but for me I was engaged the entire time. And yeah, there are slower parts of the book, but I never had a problem where I stopped reading it and didn't really want to pick it up again i feel like even the slower parts were still engaging and still kept me turning the pages i think it's amazing how many layers there are to this series and the ability the ability this series has to draw in readers of different interest levels if that makes sense because there is the surface layer which is the story that's happening and then there's this whole layer underneath that's the cosmere at large and all of the uh, all of the little epigraph at the uh, epigraphs at the beginning of chapters that if you're if you don't know what's going on in the Cosmere would make zero sense to you but surface readers seem to be able to just skim over those things and say eh, I don't really need to understand this but the story is good enough as a whole but then those of us like the, th- the three of us who are more in tune with what's going on in the Cosmere just personally i just eat that stuff up and i'm like oh my gosh it's another little hint as to what's going on and and as someone who's really into the depth of the story um it's amazing for me but also it's i i'm interested that those like uh like my dad and my brother have both enjoyed the series but they're much more on the surface level but they still love the series as well so it's amazing how he does that yeah i mean i think it's a real it's kind of a real hallmark of his writing that he's able to engage engage people on that on so many different levels Um, i feel feel like the way he does that is he really focuses on writing interesting stories it's kind of like the mcu we make this comparison a lot but there's a lot of easter eggs and depth to the mcu if you rewatch the movies and you look for different things but that doesn't mean that they let each movie be sacrificed to that you know if you were just to go watch like the Black Widow movies coming out here in the next few months. And if you have never watched any Marvel movies, I guarantee you, you would go to that movie 
and enjoy it, assuming it's a movie. But with most Marvel movies, you can go in and watch that movie and have not seen any others and enjoy the movie. I feel like one of the ways he does that is really making great characters that seem like real people. Honestly, Kaladin, Shalon, Dalinar, they're like my friends. You know, I, I feel like I can relate to them. If I was to say something to them, I feel like I'd some, I would have some idea of how they might react and what they do on a day-to-day basis. They're completely real people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the depth of those characters is, is amazing. And I think that that's partially due to how he set up the series and how he kind of devotes each book to filling out a specific character's backstory. Um, you know, with, with Way of Kings, it was Kaladin. And now with Words of Radiance, it's, it's Shallan. And so it's like you've, by the end of those books, you feel like you know those two characters. And you know, you feel like you know the rest of them. Like, even like Lopin, you know, I still feel like I would know kind of like a witty Lopin response to one of, to something would be. But I mean, but the main cast of characters are, are just so, so well fleshed out. So. You mean, you mean the Lopin, right? The Lopin, yeah. Lopin. <laughs> And, and I think that, his family would call him. And I think that the reason he's able to do that is really because if you were just to take out all the flashbacks and make them into their own book, it would probably be a short novel length. Oh, yeah. know, probably easily a couple hundred pages. And so he really has a novel about each character in each of these tomes. That- okay, I think that was a pretty good review. Should we jump into the meat of this? Uh, let's do it. Let's do a quick, we always do this content rating. I don't think we need to spend much time. The content rating is about the same as Way of Kings. If you're at Way of Kings, you're not going to be surprised by anything in this book. Yeah, Sanderson's pretty consistent with his values. So there's some violence. There's actually quite a lot of violence. But um, And this is something I actually kind of want to talk about a little bit because there's some violence, but it also doesn't seem that bad. But if you just describe it, you're like, holy cow. Um, you know, one of the characters... Um, well, I guess we shouldn't say exactly what happens, but there's there's some fairly intense violence, but at the same time, it, you don't really ever feel that same gritty feel that you might have in like a, a George R. R. Martin or Joe Ab- Abercrombie book. Yeah, for sure. It's not it's not grimdark. And I feel like the reason for that, I've actually thought a lot about this, is he does not intentionally write it to make you feel uncomfortable. He includes like the violence because that's like part of the plot, but he's not sitting there like, oh, how can I like make the audience cringe? You know what I mean? Um, for example, this actually was a line in, um, in Oathbringer, but he said, it's not spoilers. He, he uses it to describe something. He's like, something looked or felt off, such as a wrist hanging at an incorrect angle uh, off of an arm. And that made me kind of cringe. And I feel like that, and he was doing it to illustrate about like a point about how a character is feeling and not to describe violence. But I feel like other authors in the grimdark um, kind of genre use that language a lot more intentionally around violence to describe situations in order to make the audience cringe. And Sanderson just doesn't. There's no real blood or, or viscera being spilled across the cobblestones and that, yeah. that feel is just not there. Yeah. So he he's also very sensitive about this. I was listening to a recent one of his dreams that he was doing when he was signing like the 10,000 copies of, of the leather bound way of Kings. And he wrote a scene apparently um, in one of Dalinar's flashbacks in the third book where it was just kind of Dalinar unchained in all of his warmongering glory. And it 
got pretty violent and he went back and reread it and had some alpha readers read it and they just said oh this is over a line kind of this is more than you usually do are you sure you want to include it and he ended up cutting the scene or rewriting it majorly and so i think he was very sensitive to it and he doesn't want that to be his style and so i just think that he pays attention to that and kind of goes the opposite direction when it does cross that line yeah yeah i think i think that's part of what makes sanderson great is that he's true to himself and in that same live stream he was um saying that when he was trying to get published at first he knew that people were kind of looking for the next Joe Abercrombie and like looking for that grim dark book and that one version of Mistborn was his attempt at writing that and it just kind of failed miserably um and so I think that he just has realized that he's found something that works and he's not going to try to um to kind of drift outside his lane that he's created for himself so yeah I mean violence PG-13 might be going into R but definitely not um not on the same level as as other fantasy books. i guess it just depends on how you imagine it right like he doesn't describe uh in too much detail but if you want to go there like if a movie was made they could do it or they right. could stick with the level of description that he offers and cut away right like lord of the rings type violence so i was just rereading a scene today um from from words of radiance and in this scene, scene a character got stabbed and I was thinking about this uh, the way George or George R. R. Martin or Joe Abercrombie would have described a character getting stabbed and versus Sanderson just kind of stated that the character got stabbed and that was about it versus I think uh, Martin or Abercrombie would have said the dagger sunk deep into the flesh and he felt the warm blood flowing over his hand you know, and just gone on, yeah. spent a paragraph describing the stab that happened. And the versus, knife, the knife twists and the blood yeah. splatters everywhere. Yeah. And the, yeah. Right. He said so, the blood on his lips or something weird. Yeah. 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 And the blood trickled from, yeah. Yeah. You can just go on about how some of these grimdark authors describe it. And, you know, I not, that's not anything bad about those authors. I, I really enjoyed um, First Law and Game of Thrones, but it's, it's definitely Sanderson does not try and go to that level. It's an intentional that he does. And then along with that, there's hardly any sexual content at all. And then all of the swearing is in world swearing, which he basically just picked up from Robert Jordan and kept on going in his, in his, I think offers a humorous counterpoint as well. So I, the in world swearing is awesome for me. I love it. I will say that, Shalon has a few uh, a few innuendos scattered scattered throughout this book that I that I picked up on this time. So there's no like explicit sexual content, but there's definitely some uh, some innuendos that happen. So uh, be aware of that. I think it's nothing more than you would see on some basic network TV. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So that's our content warning. I'll do a very brief summary of the book. I mean, this is a thousand plus page book. So here's my attempt. And I think that this marks the beginning of spoilers, right? Correct. Okay, yes, so if, yes. you're, if you haven't read the book for whatever reason, then probably press pause now. Well, and let's just book. say, too, if you've read The Way of Kings, and if you're wondering if you should read Words of Radiance, you should read Words of Radiance. Well, I, no-brainer. I'll say that you're committing to this series once you've read Words of Radiance. If you, if you're not, if you don't want to commit to 10, 1,000-page books, stick with Way of Kings. But if you want to continue on... I guess, yeah, because Way of Kings does 
have a satisfying ending it has satisfying yeah. arcs so yeah okay fair enough i don't know if someone's told me they've read they've read way of kings but have not continued in the series i'm gonna i'm probably gonna seriously judge that person's <laughs> book interest and their literary interests i mean come on well i if you made it all the way through with if you enjoyed way of kings if you just read way of kings and you're like would hate yourself for not finishing a book but you didn't really enjoy it then i guess there, there's not much changing in words of radiance that are that's gonna make you enjoy yeah, it that's come true. on how could you not enjoy way of kings it's like a 4.7 stars on goodreads yeah there are people that don't have our same interests steven well hopefully yeah. they're not listening to the podcast we'll leave it there if you enjoyed more way of kings then read this book <laughs> leave it there okay <laughs> words of radiance kaladin broods dalinar politics Shalon infiltrates and flirts with Adolin. Adolin duels against people Dalinar politics against. Eventually, he gets overmatched, but Kaladin saves the day before being thrown in prison. Kaladin then broods in prison. Shalon and Kaladin get stranded in the chasms and flirt. We find out she has some major backstory issues. Eventually, everyone goes out on a final desperate journey to the center of the Shattered Plains. They teleport away to Uithiru uh, just in time. Kaladin kills Zeth, but not really. Dalinar bonds with the Stormfather. Storm the Knights Radiant are reformed, but the Everstorm is coming. That was super brief and high level. So we're going to talk way more about those points. But those are just some reminders for you if it's been a while since you've read the book. And we should point out that this is happening kind of after the end of um, Way of Kings where Caliban saves the day from Dalinar. Or Dalinar is betrayed by Sadius. Caliban saves the day. Um, becomes honor guard to Dalinar and that's kind of where the way of Kings is if you have a hard time and if you haven't listened to our podcast about way of Kings you should probably listen to that yeah give that a listen yeah okay so wh- where should we start here I think that we should start talking about since this book is all about Shalon first of all I call her Shalon does anybody does anybody call her Shalon I called her Shalon in my when I first read the book but since listening to the audio version it's Shalon. I'm I'm going with that. That's well, he also it. refers to her as Shalon whenever he answers questions. Yeah. So it's Shalon. So and Jasna. Also, it's Jasna, not Jasna. Yeah. Um. So how do we how do we like um Shalon's character? This book. Did it, um do you like the direction that he went? So I guess kind of going into more detail, we find out that Shalon has um killed her mother as a child and that that kind of action permanently scarred the family slowly drove her father more to be more and more violent and reckless until he finally um, murders his second wife and then Shalon has to kill her father and in that action she she breaks the soul caster which leads her on to go track down yes and that kind of starts her journey so that's kind of her backstory that we find out about in this book. So really like- dark, right? I mean, not only patricide, but mat- is it matricide? Would that be the word for killing your mother? I assume. I think is it patricide if you kill yeah. either of your parents? Are we sticking with the? Yeah. Either way, it's it's way bad, right? Super dark. And we, I guess, we find out that her mother was affiliated with the Ghostbloods. Is that? Yeah. Crazy? So they were, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but they were trying to kill her as a as a child because. She was manifesting uh, Knight's Radiant abilities. Right. Yeah, and that's when Hoyd as well, I believe, saw her and saw that she was manifesting those abilities. So we kind of get some 
interesting character interactions um, between Yasna and Hoyd, or between uh, Shallan and Hoyd throughout the series. And when I kind of when I realized that Hoyd saw her as a little girl, then it made a lot more of those interactions make more sense. And by the way, when you say Hoyd, you're talking about Wit. Wit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Hoyd, Cosmere, Wit, Stormlight Archive. Yeah, all of the moments with Wit are awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, Wit's obviously a fun character. Um, so, yeah, so it's super dark. Um, and it kind of, I don't know, what do, what do you guys think? Were you expecting it to go that dark? I mean, Shalon in the first book was, you kind of it, it hinted that there's something there, but like she's kind of just this quick witted girl who, was often an adventure to explore the world for the first time, painted cool things, um, blushed and made other people blush. Like what, I mean, so what do you guys think about the way that Sanderson wrote this? Yeah, I, I think the fan base is fairly divided on Shlan. Some people just see her super obnoxious and can't stand her. And other people, I think, understand her more and, and love her character. I think I'm somewhere in between. There are plenty of moments where I think she's just kind of obnoxious when she's when she's prattering on and I, I could do without those portions. But at the same time, I do understand her on some level. Like I've, I'm not as emotionally scarred. Um, haven't killed either of my parents, but, but, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I, there are, you know, plenty of things in my life that I try to suppress and, and I put on my, my happy face and go about my day and, and joke and laugh. And I think that's what you see her doing quite a lot. But then w- when you see, her backstory and see her her thoughts and the emotional scars that she has uh, I, that really helps you understand her character and and I think this is something that Sanderson does great in, in creating these characters is once you once you really see who they are you can't help but love them and to some extent I think um, it makes a lot more sense with the direction that Shalon's character goes especially in the third book we need kind of these traumatic experiences for her to go through in order for those who really resonate. I really like Shalon's character. I, I liked it. I've always been a big Shalon defender. I think that she's interesting. I think that she's funny. And while, yeah, she can be obnoxious sometimes, every character can be obnoxious. I feel like in the first book too, she was kind of the person that the reader was supposed to relate to in some ways. She was being expo- exposed to the greater world. She was learning about these things she had a much more defined mission with getting the soul caster from from yasna and so i feel like i related to her as a reader i related to her more than any of them okay josh question if you, if you thought she was funny did you think sharding was funny sharding if you know you know right i guess that's the most language in the book as well combining yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know i mean here's here's this character to put it in context here's this this uh low not super low born but low enough born that she's intimidated by this prince that she's now supposed to be courting and she just makes an off like a awkward off-color joke have i said awkward off-color jokes way too many times than i'd like to remember yes of course and so was i laughing probably not but did i relate to it yeah i did so I think that that scene was so great. So she's sitting with um, Idlin and, and he is so used to all these other 
um, women that he's been courting kind of like either fawning all over him or just like he's he's used to recounting his glories in battle and, and having people like wait with bated breath and challenge just kind of interrupts him and is like well how do you go poop in your sharp plate in the middle of the battle you know like that is that is so like that right there defined their relationship for the rest of the I mean remainder of that book you know so I feel like it might have been pretty cheesy but I feel like it was, it was needed what about you Steven you're giving us some some, some looks over there I mean, you know, I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a potty humor guy. So <laughs> that, that scene was a little rough for me. <laughs> yeah. Did you actually, when you read it the first time, did you cringe as hard as you, you're cringing now? Probably not. I just, I thought, oh, this is a nice little portmanteau joke, but at the same time, eh, I, I don't know. I feel like this scene has gone down in infamy across the internet and also within our little group that it just gets so much outsized hate, whereas it was just a little joke in a book. A lot of the fan base thinks it's pretty funny. Well, that's because, yeah. I mean, I thought, I didn't think it was a bad joke. I just, anyway, let's let's move on. Yeah, we, we so, can move on past that. Well, here's, uh, the, here's kind of the bigger question. Ben doesn't want to move on. We can have, well, we can have tweeted this out. Like, what are people's thoughts about the way that, I feel like it's it's very evident in this book because Shalon is the main viewpoint character. But what are people's thoughts about the way that how quick witted she is? Like, is that like realistically possible for anybody to be that quick? Maybe not, but a lot of the characters that I enjoy reading about are like Quoth is one of my all time favorite characters. He's incredibly quick witted. He always comes up with a snappy response offhand. I like reading those things, and and you have to suspend reality a bit when you're reading fiction so i have no problem with that i think it's fun sure i I feel like the way that brandon sanderson wrote shallan's character was she watched was he watched gilmore girl and then (laughs) wrote rory from the season like seasons one through three before she gets super annoyed but i feel like that's how he wrote shallan and didn't didn't realize you were such a gilmore girls fan well steven you learned something new okay but I feel like, okay, and another point is he's written, he's said a few times that you kind of have to pick your approach to writing dialogue. Sometimes you have to write dialogue the way that people actually talk, and that's usually not very interesting. Or you can write dialogue in an interesting way that is pretty detached to the way they actually talk. So here's my thing. I feel like one of my biggest pet peeves in in writing is when it's clear that the author is projecting themselves on their main character. Um, I feel like that, not to hate on Name of the Wind, but I feel like that might happen in Name of the Wind a little bit, kind of where you have this. Anyway, I feel like Sanderson sometimes does that with all of his characters in the quick-wittedness of his characters. He's like, I feel like Sanderson's a very funny guy, and this is his outlet to that humor that he has. I would say Rothfuss is projecting how he wants to be. Okay, yeah. yeah that's I don't think he... Uh, no, nobody believes that yeah okay <laughs> if you give Rothfuss a, a loot what's what's going to happen <laughs> he said he can't play he he can't play music at all he's not musically talented at all yeah so fair enough but I mean that's kind of my my thing I feel like and not that it's a bad thing I just feel like Sanderson's projecting his quick wittedness onto his characters and you know for Shalon I think it makes a lot of sense because he actually used that as a plot device for her in unifying her family 
uh, against kind of all odds. I feel like it doesn't make sense for other characters that use it. Um, but other characters aren't nearly as quick-witted. I mean, Kaladin is just kind of your your somewhat stereotypical brooding, grunting character, right? He's, well, until he's around Shalon, and then he kind of steps up his game and is like, and kind of throws back some some retorts. But a it, little, but he's taken off beat quite a bit when he talks to Shalon. He he doesn't know how to react to her. Yeah, if you ever can't come up with a quick-witted response, he just broods. Isn't that kind of how people are though? I feel like if you're if you're ever around a very witty, quick-witted person, you kind of start to become that way too and get in that mindset. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Or you at least try and keep up with their kind of wit. I really want want to see what would happen between wit and Enchilon if they ever got in a battle of words. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So Sanderson has said that Hoyd slash wit is his favorite character uh, in the Cosmere. And wit is also very quick-witted obviously right even more so than shallan so i think that's where i would see sanderson maybe projecting himself a little bit well but i'm yeah, also that, fine with it because wit's humor is awesome I, I love every scene with wit he literally said the way that he came up with wit is he would put himself it was himself or a character in all of the fantasy books he would read growing up he would put like imagine himself or a character sitting in the corner and this is how he would do the scene and that that's how he came up with hoyd did you guys know that Sanderson and Ken Jennings were college roommates? When he I mean, tweeted that out? or Yeah, well, he, he tweeted it out after, yeah, that's how I know. But after Ken Jennings won the, the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions or whatever, the greatest of all time Jeopardy yeah, competition. You, you got to wonder what that dorm room was like. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, no wonder Sanderson is so quick-witted. Yeah, he's having to compete with Ken Jennings over there in their college dorm for the ladies. Yeah, I'm guessing they got lots of ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you want to come play uh, Dungeons and Dragons with us? It's going to be lots of fun. Or, or watch Jeopardy. Could you just imagine sitting sitting watching Sanderson and Jennings watching like a Jeopardy episode? That needs to be a, a little YouTube series or something. They, they should just live stream themselves watching Jeopardy. Yeah. They should know what they should do. They should live stream themselves watching Jeopardy all about Cosmere related things and see so you can answer quicker. I bet, I bet. Ken Jennings. I bet Ken still takes it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the, the bigger moments in the book, um, which there are several of. So I think my favorite moment in the book was the duel, right? The, the yeah. big duel. So Adolin had been going through several duels that Dalinar set up in order to remove the shards from, uh, from Dalinar's political opponents. And eventually got to the point where he was dueling four different, I believe four, right? Four different chard bearers at once. And this was somewhat unexpected. And, and he was on the ropes a bit, about to possibly even be killed because these duels are not always the safest yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that they were out to kill him. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was rigged, right? It was your, your classic, uh, you know, get him a body bag type, type situation. And, but Kaladin, our hero, runs in and stops the the killing blow right he he hand claps and stops the 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 shard blade from coming down and then proceeds to use his magic to disarm all of them and uh just just an awesome scene right you get to see the magic and the shard the shard blades and 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 everything come together uh your two two main well adolin's not necessarily main but two large characters finally having their their center stage moments. Yeah. 
I mean, it was definitely like a scene that I remember reading the first time and just kind of getting shivers like through it. You know, you're just like, dang, that was that was sweet. And I feel like it totally nails so many of the characters and their personality throughout that scene. You know, with like Aidlin, like just kind of like kind of going at it and like like whatever i'm just gonna kind of enjoy this until he realizes that it's like oh man like this is serious you know what i mean like he he entered that duel just kind of being like oh whatever i'm just gonna try it this will be fine you know and then by then she's like they're gonna kill me or at least seriously me which kind of like typifies his character throughout the whole book he's kind of like kind of just has fun with things until they get serious kaladin like watching people get beat up on and he can't um really help but intercede on their behalf and Renarin just kind of being the earnest brother of Adolin. You know, like it, it just was so great for, for those three characters to kind of all work together. Adolin is like Tim Riggins from Friday Night Lights, if you've ever watched. <laughs> Another reference I did not understand. Gilmore I'm, way too, I'm, I'm way too into FNL right now. This is a family friendly podcast. I, FNL, NL, Josh. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Friday night. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we can all agree that that scene was, I don't know, how does that relate to Kaladin um, jumping over the, or like crossing the chasm and totally wiping out Parshendi to defend Dalinar? The, the, the scene that reminds me more of than that scene is when he got his original shard blade. When, oh. he, when he slid, he did that little sliding move and threw the dagger, right? He slid under the shard blade and then threw his dagger or spear point or something up in between. Spear them. point, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he yeah. tried to do it with the dagger, missed, and then the shard blade cut off his, his spear point and he grabbed that from the... Yeah, Whew. Yeah. yeah. I would put both of those scenes in a very similar uh, rating of, oh my gosh, this is one of the coolest action sequences I've ever read for an individual fighting. I remember also being uh, being really shocked, or maybe not shocked, but very interested to learn that the shard bearer that Kaladin killed was Shallan's brother, Halloran. Yeah, that was a that was a big reveal. So that was, yeah, and that goes back to wait, is this book three? Well, they don't, Shallan does not learn that until book three. So right, yeah, this is all book two action. We should yeah we should preface this with saying minor spoilers for book. And not not really. I mean, throughout book at the end of book two, you know that the shard bear that Kaladin killed was Helleran. Shallan doesn't know that, but there's this kind of like burgeoning romance between Kaladin yeah. and Shallan, perhaps. And this seems like this this reveal that Kaladin killed her brother could be a major problem. Yeah. yeah. So that was a very interesting connection, and you start you do start to get a lot more of these connections and how some of these characters are related. Yeah, so my, if we're going on that, and this is kind of a character dynamic that we should talk about is Kaladin and Moash. I did not, like, I'm sure I realized, but I didn't kind of, it didn't really sink in. The connection between Kaladin and Moash and Elnar, or Elkar, sorry. So just a kind of a preface. Elkar was responsible for imprisoning Moash's grandparents long enough that they died. And so then you have this Moash feud with um, Elkar. But who told Elkar to do that? Anybody know? Who told Elkar to do that or who did Elkar have do it? Well, Elkar was being influenced by somebody when he made that decision. To I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah. So, so this, is, this is like, this is why this book is so great, I think. Okay, I'm having trouble remembering his name. Who's the, who's the bright lord that moves to um, Kaladin City? 
Roshan? Yeah. So he was Alucard's um, kind of, he influenced Alucard to do that. And so, so Dalinar banished him away to this little province they didn't think would, would um, that he couldn't do any harm at. And that happened to be Kaladin's town. Okay, I knew that Roshan was related, but I, I couldn't remember the exact interactions. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seemed a little forced, like, oh, here's this Light Eyes that kind of had some outsized influence with Elkar, and that kind of made him make a few blunders. But, one, like, it was just so crazy how, from Dalinar's perspective, it was, oh, we're just going to solve this problem. He probably deserves more harsh punishment, but because of the society we live in, we can't do that. So I'm just going to banish him to some back of the woods town that he can't harm anybody at and that happened to be Caliban town it, it is really cool how in most of sanderson's writing like nothing happens just by coincidence there's there's so many connections yeah. that's that's also really interesting because i've always thought that Caliban and moash are really good foil characters where moash shows the path that Caliban could go down if he were to reject his oaths and so having that connection be where really the root of a lot of the things that went wrong in their life was the same person. Yeah. Yeah. The same kind of chain of, chain of events. Yeah. Great foil characters. Yeah. Moshe is a really tragic character and, and we see more of that in book three. Yeah. And I think, so that kind of is leads us to another great scene was when um, Kaladin decided to protect Elkar from Moash. And that is after kind of um, betray, starting to betray his oaths. You think that Sil might be dead, and um, because he's decided to allow the assassination. Well, Storm Stormfather straight up says Sil is dead. Yeah. So right, he, he, he says that. Yeah. So and then Kaladin's has a broken leg, can't heal himself, but he decides to go protect Elokar anyway, and he kind of shows down with Moash and. And Maze, Maze, whatever his name is, Maze, Maze, yeah, kind of shows down, and he utters the second um, ideal, which is I will protect protect those who can't protect themselves, even if I hate them, and boom, suddenly sells back. So, how, what do you guys think about that scene? Loved it, except for one thing, which <laughs> so so we're starting a we're doing a new segment at the end called Worst of the Best. So we'll leave that uh, for, for, the, for the ending segment. But uh, no, no, lo- love the scene because this had been set up for almost the whole book. Kaladin has been brooding over this decision and Moash has, is influencing him more and more and he's starting to let down Syl and his oaths and his Night Radiant ideals, but he is able to redeem himself and you, you just see his, you know, his, his spirit, his character come out because it's so natural for him to be to be influenced by this. It just makes so much sense based off of who he is. But at the same time, even deeper than that is this sense of integrity and honor. And, and that's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. That's a great scene. Um, I think the final scene I wanted to talk about, or maybe not the final one, but um, was, was Kaladin and Shalon in the chasms. So, I mean, how was that? Yeah, loved, man, loved the, uh, the chasm interaction. I, I said in a previous podcast that Sanderson's romance doesn't usually land for me, but the flirting between Kaladin and Shallan, I was, that was, yeah, good. That was good. I think one of my favorite um, parts of that scene was when 
Kaladin like looks into her eyes and and he sees the hurt and then she kind of says like you don't think I know what it feels like to and then she kind of like describes like what everything that Kaladin feels you know and then and then Sanderson's like and after she said that she's smiling you know what I mean and that like perfectly like that was like another great scene like even like all the cheesy kind of flirtation like beneath all that was like some very real like character interaction that I thought was awesome. Yeah, Kaladin's kind of like the bad boy, if you will, the, you know, the emotionally interesting, distraught guy that uh, is very intriguing to Shallan, while, while Adolin is the fine upstanding guy, kind of like, you know, Jack Pearson, if you will, from This Is Us. He's, he's the very uh, emotionally complicated guy that, uh, that you can't help falling in love with. Yeah. Um, and Josh. I think, I think the, it was also interesting um, because each of them were trying to keep the fact that they're like radiant hitting, hidden from each other. Like, Oh, I saved you, but you, you think you like, they both thought that they saved each other on the fall or whatever. Like that was pretty funny. I was like, okay, this, uh-huh. is, this is cool. So. Yeah. There are lots of moments like that where as a reader, we know more. Well, as the- a reader, we know what the characters are trying to, keep hidden but the other characters don't necessarily know all the truths so seeing those partially seeing those part truths being withheld is very interesting yeah that's awesome okay i will just say i've always been team adeline i didn't i i i didn't love it well here's the thing did did you not love it because you're team adeline or just yeah yeah, maybe maybe but i was in my head i was like shalon you're being an idiot and well, I didn't really feel like Kaladin was in a place where he was ready for a relationship. Okay, here's the thing. I think it's part of Shalon's character that she is, like, attracted to men way too easily. Like, we saw that with the... Uh, anyway. Cable. Cape, capsule. 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 Yeah, we got there. Like, she... she if a, if a guy gives her attention, then she's going to respond. Now she has, she has daddy issues, in other words. Well, she yeah, majorly, and she's also <laughs> like what a eighteen-ish yeah. girl. Yeah. So I I don't see it more. I saw it less of them flirting and potentially becoming romantically involved, and more of they like got to know each other as people on a deeper level because of their shared trauma. Um, I, yeah, I guess the for a while it kind of felt like fan fiction to me of like, Oh, here's these characters. Let's just throw them in a situation together and see what happens. Yeah. Not that that all fan fiction is bad or whatever, but it just seemed like it was Sanderson setting up a scenario where these two characters are trapped together. Let's write some things. It is kind of your dream scenario of being trapped with the girl. Right. And, and this is your opportunity to, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like the, it's like the quote Denna thing. At the end of Name of the Wind, right? Okay, just... let's not do Name of the Wind spoilers, Stephen. Come on, I didn't even say anything. I just mentioned two character names. <laughs> but here's the thing, though: they weren't like pining after each other before this. Like, it wasn't like they were like longing for this. No, but there. But I guarantee you, there are characters out there, or there are people out there after the after uh, Way of Kings came out that were writing those type of scenes in their on fan fiction of like, oh, let's trap yeah. and Kaladin together. Fair enough. Were you guys writing fan fiction? Here's the thing: if if you're not allowed to explore any plot hole, uh, any plot threads that any fan fiction, no, that's Josh explore. knows a lot about the Way of Kings fan fiction. I think he <laughs> might be involved in this community. 
Yeah. She might do that while watching Gilmore Girls. I, I, I just mean, <laughs> I would not be shamed, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I just don't know. It, it just felt like, looking back on it, it just felt like, oh, he just came up with an excuse to throw those two characters together and write something. Yeah. I could see it a little bit. There, there was some flirtation prior. There was the boots thing. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that wasn't flirtation. That was Shalon trying to learn how to be a con woman. From... No, come on. It was flirtation. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I don't think it was flirtation, but... All right, let's, let's go to another scene. So uh, towards the beginning of the book, there was the scene with... Uh, they're on the ship, Shalon and Yasna, that is. And Yasna is killed, supposedly, yeah. by some ghost bloods. Sure. Did you, you guys, yeah. on, on your first read-through... Did you think that Yasna was dead? Yeah. I mean... 100% dead. Josh? I mean, there's no body, right? Right, there's no body. So, so in as much as you can be sure when there's no body, like, I, was, I wouldn't say I was 100% sure, but I thought that there's been some shocking... There's, there's some shocking deaths in this series, and I thought that that could be one of them. I was 100% sure she was not dead, and I was right, so... <laughs> Come on, there was yeah. no there was no body, and it was just so sudden. Like you can't just kill her then. It, well, yeah. here's my thing though. She had fulfilled her purpose, or whatever. Like, like in as much as Shalon needed like a guiding influence to kind of jumpstart her character, like that's why I was kind of like, oh, she could die right now. You know what I mean? Like, she. Yeah, I I can see that. I don't know. There was just something about the way it was written to me where I was certain she was not dead. Okay. There you go. So you're, you were, you called that one. Yeah. I'm taking credit for that one. You're taking credit. And honestly, Sanderson doesn't kill very many of his characters and the ones that he does kill, he tends to bring back. Like he could have killed Zeth, but Zeth was brought back. There's another character from another series who was kind of brought back recently. And that was a little, uh, I feel unnecessary. So if you're referring to what I think you're referring to, um well we don't really know a lot about that yeah we're waiting for another book yeah so okay I, I would agree that it, it there's a lot that depends on how so sanderson has kind of a um a habit of of resurrecting characters uh, even though i will say we've i think we've sat in lectures together where he said not to resurrect characters as an author um so he's kind of breaking his own r- rules with this a little bit um but I've- yeah i've heard, I've heard him talk about this exact thing, and he's yeah he's totally on the fence he's not sure if he should be doing it more or less, and he doesn't want to do it too much, but at the same time, I think he gets really attached to some of these characters, so yeah. he can't he can't kill him and well he's structured his universe in such a way that he can resurrect characters kind of at will, <laughs> you know a little bit yeah so he's kind of. Not that it doesn't all make sense, but he's kind of written himself a, an easy way to uh, kind of resurrect some characters. That you... Here's a character that is dead, Sadius. Sure, yeah. Sadius is killed kind of shockingly and uh, very quickly at the end of the book. What did, you, did you guys like this? Honestly, this is not a favorite moment for me. I didn't like how it went down. I like it because it gave some depth to Edlin. Um And I thought that um, Sadius was the big bad in the first and second book and and that there was a new big bad on the scene that that they needed to con- contend with. Which is what? 
Well, which is the fact that the desolation has come back, you know. Like okay, we, the ever so harshmen that were that are now suddenly turned into killing machines, and we have a new storm that's blowing the other way. Like, yeah, like the the conflict evolved past Sadius. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like he could have kept Sadius around for more interesting political maneuverings. On with the backdrop of the desolations are here, and the everstorm yeah. is coming. There's still room for for Sadius in the story. I felt. I felt like it was almost as if you were to eliminate Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones once the larger conflict of the White Walkers and the Night King was was on on hand, which unfortunately, well, I don't know. Should we say Game of Thrones? <laughs> I, don't think we I didn't like the last season, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, listen, I think that it would have been cool for for down or for Sadius to maybe have a redemption plot that could have been interesting where you kind of and Dalinar even mentions that a little bit he's like oh Sadius my old friend if only we could have been on the same team you know what I mean like I don't think you even need a redemption plot I just think you need him in there a little more yeah well so okay I like the way that this happened it was one of the sudden deaths I was talking about and I thought it was pretty believable that Adeline would finally snap and and do this However, and I don't want to spoil anything for the third book, I did not like the, ramif- the way that the ramification book. Yeah, agreed. I thought, it, I thought that they kind of cheapened, without getting specific spoilers, cheapened that. Agreed. I was hoping for more with that, and I was hoping for more with the, the fact that Kaladin killed Chalon's, uh, Chalon's brother. Uh, yeah. Both of those things I, I was a little disappointed in in so, book three. So yeah, I don't want to get too far into spoilers for that because we're trying to keep the spoiler free. But if I, when I go back and reread these books, uh, knowing the ramifications will not make it uh, as great of a scene. Yeah, I know. I think I remember t- like when the third book was coming out, all of us were like, "Well, let's not, not let's not speculate on what we thought would happen because then yeah, we, that we were we were all very excited to see the way that that would happen." And yeah, yeah. So. Let me. Yeah. Hey, can I say one speculation that I had at the end of book two that sure. was just completely off base, but I thought was funny? So I was convinced at the end of book two that book three would reveal the shocking fact that Dalinar's wife was in fact cultivation <laughs> or the shard holder of cultivation. I, were, I, was, I do remember you being con- absolutely con- in fact, In fact, you wanted to ask him about this, didn't you? And one of yeah. the... Yeah, yeah. I, come on. There was some basis for this theory. No, there wasn't. It was completely off. So that's a spoiler for book three. My, my crackpot <laughs> no, theory was it's off. It's not a spoiler because there's no <laughs> speculation about it. There's no... Yes, there wasn't a shard that married Dalinar. That, that did not happen. Not the shard. The shard holder. The shard uh, holder could shard, have been his the wife. The shard holder. Look, yeah. it would have tied in. It would have explained the gaps in his memories and everything. Well, he went to the... Oh, whatever. Okay. Literally anything could explain the gaps in his memories. That was a that. great explanation. It, Sanderson always ties these things together. It would have worked. Okay. Let's talk about Ashanai real quick. Yeah, that was kind of a disappointing death. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. She was kind of built up and then just swept away in the storm and, and died. So I yeah. did like, I, I liked the parts with the Parshendi or the listeners as they call themselves. I thought that was nice to kind of humanize them. Yeah, I thought that that was an entry. I was expecting, if you were to ask me which death I thought would be reversed, hers or Yasna's, I would have probably said hers would be more likely. 
because she still had a ways to go, right? Like she was being built up as a character and it seemed like her arc was not over. Well, yeah. and I, th- I think we've even heard that she's still going to get a backstory. She might be a viewpoint character. She was supposed before. to be a viewpoint character or something. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he has said just because someone's going to be a viewpoint character does not mean they survive. Yeah. So I think that's why I, I thought that she would be, that that death would be reversed or whatever, um, or she would be resurrected. But can we just can we point out that Adlin is now responsible for responsible for two sudden deaths? He's just a killing machine over here. Adlin's killed a lot of people, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I thought that was also a funny scene where, if if you don't remember, um, Adlin succeeds in kind of pushing her off of a chasm, and he's about to fall in. And who saves him? Or I guess I can't remember specifically who, but do you guys remember what happens there? No, I don't remember this one. So he's about to fall over the edge. He's convinced that he's going over. And he looks back and there's bridgemen that have kind of caught hold of his um, like armor, like kind of his coattails or whatever that, and they're kind of holding him up as he's kind of til- like tipping over the edge. Was it his cape? Was this like an Incredibles I, nod yeah, to the I think it was cape his cape. Him? Yeah, and he, um, and they kind of pulled him back. Anyway, I thought it was a pretty humorous scene to imagine. In my, in, it kind of, but again, it was kind of a, a, another typical like, oh man, this is like a very epic moment that's kind of that kind of has humor inf- infused into it. So, yeah. Bridge Bridge Four was really good. Bridge Four was really good in this book as well, right? We yeah. like Bridge Four still. He found a way to transition Bridge Four into um, into this book, and yeah, he kind of set it up so that Bridge Four can continue to be a thing even after they shouldn't. Be. And he does more so in Book Three. Bridge Four is awesome. Yeah. Who's your favorite Bridge Four member? Oh, Rock. Rock, yeah, Rock is an easy choice. I think Teft. Yeah, Teft in Book Three, I think becomes a a lot more uh, a character you can sympathize with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many. I feel like Sanderson was able to balance so many things out because of Bridge Four. He was like, "Oh, we need like whatever type of character. Let's let's put him in Bridge Four. You know what I mean." We need the wise general, Bridge Four. We need the, the kind of the wisecracking, wisecracking cook who can. I don't know. Anyway, whatever you want to, whatever kind of character you need, it's Bridge Four. And there, some of the characters I think are going to continue to have some important, uh, some important roles to play that maybe we don't see quite yet. Like I, I'm sure we're going to see Horn Eater Peaks at some point, and oh, yeah. I think Rock is like some kind of prince or something over there. Yeah, so. He was- uh was this book three where you find anyway, backstory about yeah we haven't seen a, a whole lot of the world quite yet in book two at sure. the end of book two we see we're transported away to your and but but we still have this huge map to explore if you look at the beginning of the book there's a large map there's i don't know 10 to 15 different countries and there's cities and mountain ranges and, and rivers all detailed and look, if you think that Sanderson is not going to explore all of these pieces by the end of the series, you're wrong. Because he is going to hit all of these different countries. A little spoiler in book three, you know, you start to see more, more of the world revealed. And this is just his wheel of time, right? In wheel of time, all of the different countries and nationalities are revealed. And so this is one thing I'm excited to see more of in the series. Um, being able to look at the map and say, okay, this is, you know, here's this point, here's this point. You see a little bit of it, of it in the interludes, but they're going to become more and more important. 
I think that he he allowed himself he kind of wrote himself a way to do that first with the wind runners and second with um with the fact that he gave himself portals to kind of any city that he wants yeah so that was that was kind of a clever way to explore that world i'm excited to see more uh one okay one other two other moments that i wanted to hit on one was when dalinar bonded the Stormfather as his spren such an epic moment um he just he he basically tells the Stormfather what's up. He becomes a bondsmith. We don't really know what a bondsmith is quite yet. At the end of book two, we're going to see more of that in book three. But uh, I mean, talk about uh, talk about a man, Dalinar Kolev. Yeah. Dalinar is like the man. Um, yeah, another great moment. And that was like I feel like those kind of moments. Same with the battle between Kaladin and Seth. They kind of got kind of wrapped up in the in the Sanderson avalanche that we've talked so much about. Um, but nonetheless, they're they're pretty epic. Yeah, he did do quite a few things just at the very end, tying up loose threads. I kind of I like that uh, to some extent, but you also kind of forget because these are very major events that are happening that have wide ranging ramifications for the rest of the series. But sometimes they're just put off as uh, loose ends and, and bows tied around the end of the book. So this is kind of one of my pet peeves for fantasy books is that they throw vitally important events in in uh just right at the end yeah just right at the end and they did that a lot with uh with shadow of what was lost and lycanius yeah with lycanius is they would just have these events at the ending of books that would completely reshape your theory of what was going on lightbringer did the same thing they would have just these events that happen in the, in the right at the end. And I get it. It's a way, it's a cliffhanger. You know, it's like the most classic approach in all of you know, uh, literature and media. And I get why they do it, but it, it kind of annoys me. Do you think the, the middle of books could be a little more streamlined if, if we had more of these big reveal type things happening? Yeah, and, and Sanderson started to do that more with book three. There were a lot of reveals that happened in the middle of the book, kind of when you weren't expecting it. You found out a lot of stuff um, about the world. But I feel like just there's got to be a better way to do it, to reveal these things than having a scene written that just kind of feels copied and pasted. Well, here's the thing. All the scenes, all the kind of epic scenes that we talked about, while not being vitally important to the plot, we're still super fun to read. Like when we were reading about the duel or like all these things, they, they kind of make up the vast majority of the book. And I don't think that the vast majority of the book necessarily needs to influence the overall plot, you know? No, you're right. But if we, if we would have gotten Adeline killing Sadius, uh, three quarters of the way well i mean it is hard because that affects plotting and structure and everything but if we could have had even a chapter of him brooding on the fact that he just became a murderer i mean he more was brooding? a killer but now josh like is a, calling for more brooding in this book holy cow <laughs> josh needs more brooding from from adeline yeah adeline doesn't brood at all the entire time but if we could just or him dealing with the ramifications that he just became a cold-blooded murderer um, would have made that more meaningful. And maybe I just have issues with how that was handled in general, but there's a lot of things in all fantasy books where just putting it right at the end and then 
turning off the camera right after something big happens while I get it is has started to annoy me. Yeah. Do you think this is something that's required in order to get readers? Yeah, it does. I mean, is that something where publishers just like say, hey, you got to throw a cliffhanger at the ending of that book so that people will buy the next one? I don't know, because these books, like who's going to read the first three and then be like, oh, I'm going to sit number four out. Yeah, Sanderson can pretty much do whatever he wants at this point, right? I guess. Yeah. And and maybe, I mean, I guarantee, I guess you always do get declining readership for each book that comes out because that's just the nature of how things go, right? Like some people will taper off, but are you going to structure your whole ending of your book around hoping that that tapering doesn't happen? It seems a little weird to me. Are you sure it tapers yeah. off? I mean, I would say a big book is released. It gets a lot of publicity. Maybe some people that have read the first three don't read it, but they're going to be people who come in who haven't heard of the series and read the first four. And yeah, I think yeah. it's going to grow and grow. Well, but then, the, then those the, numbers add to the first four though. Like if you take the entire universe of people that have read book three of Stormlight Archive, it's going to be less than people that have read book okay. two. But, but, but the universe continues to grow. I mean, think right. of the... Yeah, the total readership continues to grow, but the total number for each book right. is going to taper. Like, we all went, us, us three, we went to the, the release party for Words of Radiance, right? Yeah. yeah. It was upstairs at the BYU bookstore. There were like 100 people milling around, a few people in costumes. He did an open Q&A, and there was a line to get the book signed, right? Yeah. There was, was no was okay. Changed. Let's be fair. There were more than a hundred. There were a few people that were camped out. A few people, but there's not a line to get in that I can remember. So like, you got you guys didn't go to the Oathbringer release, right? No. Well, we, you you very kindly live streamed it for us. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was <laughs> showing you. Yeah. So Jake and I, Jake from the previous podcast, and I, we went to the Oathbringer release, and it was not at the BYU bookstore. It was in like the city of Provo town hall or, or whatever you want to call that building and there were at least 1500 people maybe 2000 it was in this packed room sanderson got up i mean it was like it was almost religious the the environment that was going on there there were some people who were pretty into the in, into the nerddom so and yeah i remember what? hopefully hopefully we don't insult those people too much because uh we want them listening right yeah. now so hey no the, no they're happy to be called nerds <laughs> So anyway, my, my rant is over about how I wish that there would be a little bit better structure for those big events and not necessarily having the last scene of every book be a crazy thing that happened. That's my, what I want to put out there in the universe. That's fair. I'm, I, I, I can agree with that. Okay, so I think, I think we should kind of start wrapping up with a few kind of maybe random hot takes. I know I have a few hot takes about this book. I know I, that might have been Josh's hot take. Um, do you want to do you want to get into our segment or is this separate? This might be before the segment. Yeah. All right, let's hear it. So one of my hot takes, and this this happened because we recently, as a group of friends, started playing Dungeons and Dragons. For my, this is the first time I've ever played it. Um, Stephen was our our dungeon master. Word. And so anyway, I wanted to read um, the description. Um, for chaotic good. Um, and th for those of you that don't know, you kind of choose um, kind of a character type that you that you want your character to espouse and kind of the values that go along with that. You're talking about the alignments, right? The alignments? The, the alignments, right, yeah. 
So it says, a chaotic good character acts as his conscience directs him with little regard for what others expect of him. He makes his own way, but he's kind of benevolent. He believes in goodness and right, but has little use for laws and regulations. He hates it when people try to intimidate others and tell them what to do. He follows his own moral compass, which, although good, may not agree with that of society. Chaotic good can be, da- can be a dangerous alignment when it disrupts the order of society and punishes those who do well for themselves. So, pop quiz, what character does this sound like? I'm going to say Kaladin. Kaladin would Stormblast. be the correct answer. Yes. I feel like, and I know that Sanderson has played Dungeons and Dragons because I read a few Reddit posts they did about, about different characters they created for that. Well, come on. If, if you're reading an epic fantasy series and you don't think that the fantasy author <laughs> has played Dungeons and Dragons, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're wrong. That's, you know, that's fair. But I mean, it's just kind of like, I don't know. You know, was, was Kaladin kind of copy and pasted to be a, a chaotic good character? It kind of feels like it a little bit right now. Maybe not Kaladin, but the kind of order of radiance in general. Um, there's also a lawful good um, character, which basically this character will do what is according to the law, no matter what. And we know that they're... Skybreakers. Um, yeah. I mean, so it seems, you know, it seems like there's a little bit of... Um, well, I think Skybreakers are lawful, new- or, uh, lawful neutral, right? Is that a thing? Because uh, some of them are served like really bad that they know are bad. Yeah, that makes sense. Lawful neutral. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lawful neutral would be um, acts as law, tradition, or personal code directs them, order an organization or paramount to them. Yeah. So lawful, lawful neutral. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that that is an unfounded hot take, but I feel like these kind of uh, alignments correspond with um, a few orders of the room. So, any, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that hot take, but I'm also fine with. I, I think that's okay if yeah. it corresponds to something that you've seen in Dungeons and Dragons. Like that's a character alignment that. I mean, it, maybe it's been done before, but he does it really well. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, I mean, every character you can probably, every character in every book, you could probably fit into one of those categories. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of characters. And if they didn't, then you would, um, then they wouldn't be a great character, I don't think, because they would be acting erratically unless that, that is their character trope, you know? Um, okay, well, wait, let me think. So I'm reading Dark Tower right now, and there's one character specifically in Dark Tower where uh, she has kind of a salon thing where she has several different personalities and maybe so a character like that um that would that would swing greatly on that scale she she has made an interesting character so i think that it can be done well where somebody doesn't fall into a specific one of those character alignments but then that almost becomes the character itself is by definite like that's the defining part of it yeah okay okay ben let's hear another hot take Okay. Um, oh, you know what? I want to hear your hot take first, Steven. Here's the thing. I'm not sure if I have any more hot takes. No more hot takes? Okay. Oh, actually, no. Uh, Here's one. Here's one. So I thought this second book was a bit of a sophomore slump. Um, and, and I don't think that Sanderson writes second books well. I didn't love Well of Ascension. And 
I also did not love Shadows of Self. I thought that I thought Shadows of Self was the worst book Sanderson's ever written, to be honest. Didn't didn't really like it at all. And while I still really liked Words of Radiance, I thought it was a little slow and didn't really take us super far. And, and you know, you've got a thousand pages here, but from the end to the beginning, we haven't moved the plot all that much. In Oathbringer, he moves the plot a ton. In Way of Kings, he introduces things. He introduces everything. In Words of Radiance, it's a character book, but at the same time, I felt like maybe we could have moved things along a bit more. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like, if he couldn't have fully fleshed out the characters in Way of Kings, like, you shouldn't have needed um, Words of Radiance to kind of fully flesh out all the characters. Uh, well, we did get a lot of movement with Sean and this. Yeah. We found out all about her. That wasn't movement in the plot, though. Those are hot takes. Love him or hate him. Josh's was no more cliffhangers. Mine was don't copy and paste character alignments from Dungeons and Dragons. And Steven's was sophomore slump is a thing that Sanderson wrote. One, one other interesting thing. So this is the, the fourth book is coming out in November. I think it's going to be called Rhythm of War, although he hasn't settled on a title. This is the first fourth book of a series that Sanderson has ever written. Yeah. A little tidbit there. I, I, I know that everyone thinks that the Mistborn trilogy, the Wax and Wayne books are not the same series. I disagree, but that's okay. No, come on. They're Mistborn Era 1, Mistborn Era 2. He's clearly said there's different series. Well, they're different series, but they're in the same world. Like They have some of the same characters. Hey, Stormlight has some of the same characters as other books. Yeah, but it's not... Okay, whatever. Um, I guess I will, cl- I will say that the Alcatraz series... His middle grade series that I haven't read has like five or six books. So that's not entirely true that he's never written a fourth book. But this is, this is his biggest fourth book, right? Yeah. Um, I think he's written like 19 or 20 books total. So I'm excited to see book four. I think we're all very, very excited. Yeah, um, sure. Okay, we're going to do our, our closing segment here. This is a new thing that we're going to do um, every podcast from now on. So it's called Worst of the Best. So we're going to take some of our favorite scenes, but pick out the one thing in the scene that kind of not ruined it for us, but, but really kind of put a downer on it. Yeah. And I think that Sanderson, <laughs> there's a lot to choose from for him because he has some great scenes, like some wonderful scenes that are very easy to nitpick. So, okay. Who wants to get us started here? Well, why don't you get us started? Tell us yours. Okay. So my, um, my worst part of the best scene was the chasm scene and we kind of touched on this earlier but i thought that um all of the kind of quick quick witted banter between kaladin and shalon it it went pretty far to um to knocking that scene down a few pegs for me i thought it was a great scene where we got to know those characters on a very intimate level and that they got to know each other um and that it progressed their relationship super well and I could have just done without all the Shalon jokes. So there you so go. Worst you part felt of the like You felt like a lot of your teenage flirting was awkward and theirs wasn't awkward enough? I felt like, yeah, I felt like Shalon was just kind of too overpowered with her witty responses. So, <laughs> All right, Josh, give us, give us your worst of the best. Okay, worst of the best. And this is, um, has a lot of drama surrounding it. At least it did a few years ago was the duel between Kaladin and Seth and specifically how Seth meets his supposed death 
and the first, so there are two copies of this scene published and he changed it with the second edition or when the reprints of the books happened. Because in the first one, when we all probably read it, was Kaladin straight up killed Seth, right? Yeah. Right, and, right. And I went back and reread the scene this morning. And in this scene, that as it is currently written, um, because I have the ebook, so I think that they even updated in all the ebooks as well, is Kaladin abstains from, he goes to drive, strike a killing blow and then chops. Uh, Seth's wrist and the honor blade falls and uh, he is haunted by the vision of Seth's limpless form falling into the Everstorm. Wow. I didn't, I knew that that scene was rewritten. I, I never knew how, how it was rewritten. I listened to it and the audio version is still the original version. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So, so give us a quick, cause I haven't reread that one in quite a while. So in, in the original scene, um, Kaladin, well, Zeth kind of confronts the fact that um, the Radiants are back and that he has committed all these atrocities and um, almost after defending and fighting and running from Kaladin kind of gives Kaladin an obvious opening to kill him, which Kaladin takes. He um, falls down and is resurrected by somebody with a powerful with he's resurrected by somebody whose purposes are yet unknown but says that this is your rebirth and that you now are no longer truthless and you're absolved from all your other um crimes because you've been born again essentially yeah so that that all still happens it's just um instead of severing instead of doing a killing blow um that i think I'm reading on Coppermine right now. It says that it severed his spine and that's what killed, yeah. killed him. That, that didn't happen. He like still stabbed him and it said he was like briefly trying to sever the spine that then, but then pulled it out and then chopped his hand. And so, so it was like a, was it like a Han shot first? Yeah. That's kind of what it seems yeah. like. And, and Sanderson has said that that didn't quite fit with Kaladin's character that he would strike that blow. But it did. I mean, Seth was straight up running to try and kill Dalinar, who Kaladin was supposed to be protecting. And so that that change, I, I, I mean, I understand why he did it. And he, it's his work. It's He can do whatever he wants. And it's not really up to us to say whether he should or shouldn't have done that. But I was not in love with the fact that he... Yeah, Kaladin's killed people before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean he's killed plenty of people, but um, I, maybe not as cold-blooded of just you know uh, didn't not necessarily needing to kill them. But I mean they're up thousands of feet in the air. Whatever hey, he did on, at that this point, is, this is the assassin in white who's been killing yeah. people across. Like this guy is a legend, and he's not a legend for good things. Take him down. Well, so it says that in the book, he he specifically even said says like. Oh, now that he doesn't have the honor blade, he's not a danger to anyone because the honor blade was what was giving him all of his powers. Hmm. So, but would Kaladin know that? I, I feel like in the moment he's just going to take him out. Well, right. So that's why I don't love this change and why I think that this is the worst of the best moment. Like that was an epic scene when I was rereading it. I was uh, immediately, I just jumped straight to the scene and immediately I was caught up in this, this whirlwind of excitement and, and, 
craziness of Kaladin discovering, you know, that's that's the first time that Kaladin found out that Cell could change weapon form. And there are so many great things going on in the scene, but this just kind of took the scene from what was one of the best in the entire series so far and and put a lot of controversy and have, has given me a lot of mixed feelings about it because of what it is showing for Kaladin's. Yeah. Okay. Worst of the best. I did. I love that uh, that Zeth got Nightblood afterwards, though. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to kill some people? <laughs> Would you like to slay some evil today? Yeah. Slay some, yeah. There you yeah. go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. My worst of the best is Josh talked about it a little bit. Seal changing weapon forms when he first has Seal transform into a shard blade. He swears the second ideal, or is it the is it his it's third? It's the second. Ideal? It's his second. Okay. Yeah. It kind of varies by Order of Knights Radiant, but he swears his second ideal, and he goes to use his shard blade for the first time, and Seal says, "Stretch forth thy hand." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, what a corny line. Oh come on, come Even on! It's all about the one-liners ruining the ruining oh, the scene. It ruined, no, it ruined the scene for me. What an awesome scene! We're finally getting the mystery of the shard blades unraveled. We are we're understanding the bonds between Spren and human, and this awful line that seems so archaic. Why not just you know reach reach forward or you know or, or feel into the cognitive realm some come on there's got to be some kind of better line than this it was awful oh it was so awful yep yep there you go that was that was the sharded version of of that scene for Steve. Yeah. how did beta readers not say hey uh hey sanderson maybe rethink this one did he just like it that well, much i don't I, I think it i think okay i think it kind of contributed to how epic that scene is I, I disagree with you on this. Overdone, one. overdone. Oh, it was, it was overdone. Mean, it took me out of the world. Oh. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna have to side with Stephen on this one. <laughs> all, the, all of a sudden, I was reading the Bible. That's how okay, I thought. But, but that's the thing is that this was a religious experience for Kaladin. This was him literally connecting to a god, and so it. I mean, right? Uh, the honor. She's an. Uh, still is an honor okay. spread. Yeah, right? splinter like, of honor. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a splinter of honor, which is a splinter of God. There's a lot of splintering going on here. Does but the word thy appear anywhere else in the whole book? I mean, does it need to? The storm that, the storm father doesn't talk like that. But this is a religious experience for Kaladin in the fact that he is connecting to deity. And I don't think it's out of I don't think it's bad. Disagree. Disagree. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think that we'll have to tweet this out or something get some uh get some opinions here yep yep get us our opinions all right that's our worst of the best thanks for listening everyone hope you enjoyed our our recap of words of radiance we are going to do more in-depth stormlight archive podcasts in the days leading up to the november release of book four which we are absolutely pumped for uh this is going to be a great year for fantasy we're looking forward to the end of the year especially with that book and hopefully the release of the Wheel of Time TV show, which we can't get enough about. Um, any final words from you guys? Or Yeah, we, we want to hear from you. We, we want you to be a part of the conversation. We have a Discord server set up. If you've never experienced Discord before, it's just basically a chat up where we can interact with you and it's a lot of fun and we can talk all about nerdy things and all about book series. Also, right. if you have any requests or any feedback that you'd want to give, you can tweet at us or join our Discord.
Yeah, stretch stretch forth thy comments. And, and oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there's been some good chatter in the Discord recently about topics as wide-ranging as Kesha. So anything can be discussed. And we also want to hear, we want to hear from you on, on what series you'd like to be reviewed. Um, right now, Josh is finishing The Dark Tower. Ben and I are getting into Malazan, Book of the Fallen. Um, I'm like halfway through Gardens of the Moon. I think Ben's finished. So we're all kind of on different reading schedules. And as we finish books, we'll review them. But if you have anything that you're excited to hear about, we would love to read it for you. Okay, until next time. <laughs>